I mean, the man's a god. Wrote the score to Sweeney Todd. With a nod to decide. Well, he's odd. Well, he's god. There is a religion of Sondheim. Um, that yeah. a lot of people in the wake of his death, I think, are kind of putting their hands in the air and saying, I don't know what I believe about God. I believe in Stephen Sondheim. This is the Gospel of Musical Theater, a priestly look at some of your favorite musicals with your hosts, Cathedral Deans and Musical Theater Queens, Nathan LaRude and Peter Elliott. So this is the Gospel and Musical Theater. I'm Peter Elliott. I'm Nathan LaRude. We are so excited to be back on mic, to, uh, excited and also um, yeah. a little bit tender today. You know, we had no idea when we set yeah. our schedule for recording and have been, I've been really looking forward to this conversation about West Side Story to launch our, our uh, series on Stephen Sondheim. And then it, the news of his death came just Friday, I guess. Uh, yeah. Over this past weekend, we're recording this just after the first Sunday of Advent in 2021. And what an outpouring. We've just been talking before we hit record of the outpouring of grief and uh, yeah. the celebration of his life and his work. And uh, so we'll lift one to Stephen Sondheim. Uh, uh, <laughs> everybody rise. Everybody here's rise. To, here, here's to Stephen Sondheim. Yeah. No, it, yeah. it is. It, it's in some. I mean, it, in some ways, it feels fortuitous to us to be, you know, launching our our multi episode arc, looking at Stephen Sondheim. I mean, it, it, a really beautiful time to think about the impact that this guy has had on on so many people, not least of which Peter and me. I think both of us would include ourselves in the uh, the collection of people who's. And, we, and maybe maybe to kind of begin to think about how we want to frame this guy and the legacy he's had, I, I suspect for you, Stephen Sondheim has shaped some of your theology, some of what you believe about uh, God, human beings, maybe church community. Some of some of his work has had, um, certainly for me, that, that, that he has been one of my theological teachers, we might say. Um, yeah. There's a there's a great song we were talking about before we hit record that Stephen Sondheim wrote, kind of a pastiche, tongue firmly planted in cheek for a review about 10 years ago called God, in which he compares himself <laughs> caustically in some ways to a, to, a, to a divine figure and kind of sends up the, the outside, I think he would say, outsized influence that he seems to have on the Broadway musical and people who love musicals um, who treat him like he can do no wrong, like he's a kind of godlike figure. Nice smile, sweet face, real style, such grace, that wit, that's it. Oh shit. And does he know how to rhyme? Sublime, he'll surprise you every time. Just like the lyrics. No, the text. You think the tune is going up, it's going down. You think the tune is going on, it stops. It doesn't finish, it just stops. You know what I like best is flops. Anyone can whistle, that's what they say. Later. Yeah. Still you have to have something to believe in. Something to appropriate, emulate, overrate, might as well be Steven. And this box contains my fingernail clippings. 
I'm thinking of sending them to the Smithsonian. Or to use his nickname, God. We got God. Look who's God. He's still. Turn them off and let's just sing the damn songs. Amen. I think one of the things that we might think about as we begin this uh, series of episodes on his musicals is the degree to which this, you know, self-avowed, I think, atheist, raised Jewish, yeah. but raised secularly, secular Jewish, uh, this guy who didn't really have, my senses, much of a theological agenda, a recognizably theological agenda, has become a, what, what do we want to say, a wisdom teacher, a guru, uh, a, a theological force for a lot of people. There is a religion of Sondheim. Um, that yeah. a lot of people in the wake of his death, I think, are kind of putting their hands in the air and saying, I don't know what I believe about God. I believe in Stephen Sondheim. I believe in the world as he articulates it. And I find meaning and hope and belonging in this community of of adherence. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, this whole project that you and I launched a couple of years ago um, has, for me anyway, its origins in an article that I, I've written a, a lecture on it, but I need to, to form it called uh, Stephen Sondheim and the Vocabulary of Grace. And my notion, it was kind of one of those intuitions that came when I was listening to, I can't remember whether it was Company or Into the Woods or my favorite, uh, Sunday in the Park with George. And I began to think about how in his exploration of the complexity of human relationships, and really, I guess in what I would, and I didn't put this in my lecture in the article, but what I would say now is, is resilience is the resilience of the human spirit. I mean, whether it's Bobby at the end of Company singing one of his great anthems, Being Alive, where it's, I mean, it's about so many things, but for me, it's always been about, okay, I will risk one more relationship, uh, someone to hold me too too close, uh, someone to treat me too bad. It isn't a, I'm done with it. It's not a resignation. It's not an abandonment of relationship. It's embracing it. Or or in Into the Woods, um, uh, the, the whole sense of no one is alone, which you quoted in your Advent, one sermon so, so beautifully. And uh, the notion that even though the idea of a happy ending is a myth, life is still worth living. And I won't go yeah. through the rest of the canon. But I think that's yeah, but, part of what appeals to people. But looking for grace. Yeah, looking, looking for, for grace. grace even... In a very honest way, I think that's, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit with Schmigadoon, right? Sort of, uh, and in some ways, today is a great bridge because we're, we're going to be talking about West Side Story. So Sondheim's, we might say, contribution to the classic mid-century, uh, it's not quite the marriage trope, but it's certainly a more traditional Broadway musical along the lines of Rodgers and Hammerstein and Lerner and Lowe and Meredith Wilson and all the people who shaped him and taught him. Um, but he's going to go on to really complicate and develop that idea in ways that, you know, in some ways m- move him outside of some of, right? Like, there, there are people who don't love Sondheim because musically and thematically, his stuff is dark. I talked to a couple parishioners at the door on Sunday after I quoted No One Is Alone, and she said, you know, I have to tell you, like, I really don't like Into the Woods. Like, and th- her husband said, yeah, and Sweeney Todd, oh my gosh, like, this stuff is just so dark and so depressing. <laughs> She's like, you know, give me, she didn't say this, but I was thinking, yeah, like, I mean, you know, give me My Fair Lady, give me Oklahoma, give me something like that for an enjoyable night at the theater. Sondheim is not everybody's cup of tea. Um, but what he's trying to do, I think, to your point, um, is is complicate the world that we were kind of handed, but also not, you know, like not just turn to cynicism and give up, right? There, there's, always, there's always hope 
uh, of some kind, I think, or at least we want to look for moments of hope, moments of grace, moments of connection. We might say, you know, not, not in a necessarily in a religious context, right? He's not looking to the divine for his source of meaning. He's looking to other human beings, his humanism in a certain kind of way. But there is a, I don't know, there is a, certainly a, there's a spirituality to Stephen Sondheim's material. And that's, I think, part of what we want to pull out in these, in these episodes. And I think the, absolutely. And I think, you know, you, you've sounded the theological note. It is a theological word of hope. And uh, in a lot of ways, I think part of the power of West Side Story is that it's a story of, about hope. It's a story about the hope for reconciliation, the hope for change. But the road there is a road of violence and, uh, and sadness it it is not a happy ending musical. Uh, none of Sondheim's. It's a tragedy. Yeah, it's a tragedy. It's based on Romeo and Juliet, and the reason that, that you tragedy. and I chose to record this before the launch of the Steven Spielberg film, and it was intentional that we wanted to talk about it before we see it because uh, here's my reason. You'll have your own reasons, but my reason is I find Spielberg's images so absolutely captivating that. If it's a good film, and I think it, it'll it be a good film for those of us who love Sondheim and Spielberg anyway. Um, it better I, be, my goodness, with all those people working on it. If it's not a good film, I'm going to be really upset. I, I'm I'm expecting to, to like it. But I don't want those images and the new text. Uh, there's a, a new book written for this. Uh, I don't want I don't want to lose the 1958 movie. Uh, or 62, whenever it 61, was. yeah. 50, okay. And and the original Broadway show. So we may well want to have another conversation after the release of the film, another bonus yeah. about what it did with it. But we want to kind of get our thoughts recorded now um, so that we can give, and for our listeners to give, those of you who don't know West Side Story, and who are you if you don't? Yeah, but really. No judgment. Yeah. Please, no judgment. Please go watch the film. It's a it, if you please haven't. Please go watch I, the Although film. I will say, I I first saw the film of West Side. I don't think I knew it was a, so. Actually, right around the time that I first discovered Stephen Sondheim, right, grew up as a kid loving the Golden Age musicals, Roger and Hammerstein, Lerner and Lowe. And my eighth grade drama teacher showed us the film of West Side Story. I'd never seen it. And I remember thinking, this is the stupidest thing I have ever seen. I remember that <laughs> opening number where they're like, snap and dun, dun. I was like, you have got to be kidding. You know, the cynical eighth grader. It was around that time that I listened to Into the Woods for the first time. And I was like, ah, I've arrived. No idea that what I thought I was rejecting was actually Stephen Sondheim, right? That, that, that this guy had written the lyrics to West Side Story. I remember watching I Feel Pretty and thinking, like, this is a stupid song. So it took me a little while to learn to love West Side Story. And now I watch the film and I'm like, oh my gosh, this thing is, it's an amazing film. It's yeah. a beautiful film. And maybe kind of to our, you know, as we kind of begin to explore the genesis of where this material comes from, right? The, the Broadway musical was not a flop, certainly, critically acclaimed, but not a huge roaring success. The London production uh, was, was, a, was, a, was a success. It was a, a hit in London. But it was really the film that made West Side Story the cultural phenomenon. And Stephen Sondheim talks about that. He says, you know, uh, Bernstein's music was hard for people to hear. Nobody, it was a lot of jazz. It was a, I mean, tritones all over the place. Um, it took people four years to get that music in their ears so that by the time right. the film came out, uh, this was a behemoth. And it won, you know, swept the, swept the Academy Awards, you know, I think generally regarded as one of the greatest film musicals of all time. Um, a great, yes. great film. 
Uh, Robert Wise does some really, I think, some really beautiful things with the story that I know we want to talk about because he uses a lot of ecclesiastical imagery, actually, a lot of Gothic architecture. Um, there's a, he, he brings, I think, a really interesting sensibility to the, to the film that really has kind of created the phenomenon that is West Side Story. And interestingly, it opened on Broadway the same time as The Music Man, and the two yes. were up against each other in the Tony Awards, uh-huh. and The Music, the Music Man, Man swept. <laughs> swept. And uh, curiously, they were both on Broadway just before, or to be on Broadway just before the pandemic, um, a new production of West Side Story, collapsing it into one act with lots of video. Sadly, it hasn't reopened after the pandemic. But it was going to be up against Music Man again, um, and that would have been an interesting, an interesting uh, uh, historic accident, or was it? Uh huh. Well, and they make and this is often the way that we have taught West Side Story. Actually, I mean, to think about the world of 1950, the America of 1950s, maybe not just America. Canada has yeah. a lot of right. The, the world of North America in 1957. So you've got the Music Man and West Side Story. Those are the two. When I say the two images of who we are and who we have been. And it's so interesting to me that up until a couple months ago in 2021, we would have had those exact same shows kind of bookending for us. Who are we and where are we going? Because both The Music Man and West Side Story are really about America, right? I mean, West Side Story makes that literal. There's a great song called America. But Music Man is also very much around what does it mean to be an American? I don't know how Canadians read this. I'm guessing you you are used oh, no. to translating to your own context there because we I, say American. I remember and... when they did Music Man at the Playhouse Theater in Vancouver a few years ago, and I was talking to some actor friends of mine, uh, and in the big uh, scene on the 4th of July, the festival, they unveiled this enormous Stars and Stripes flag. And one of my, one of my uh, actor friends said, I just hate seeing that American flag on a Canadian stage, you know? So, yeah. uh, but you can't, I mean, to your point, you can't do Music Man without referencing Americana. You can't. Yeah. It, is uh, a, you it is a tribute really to you really can't do West Side Story without referencing mm-hmm. urban, American, and the urban Canadian yeah. experience is not that much different, although in 1957 or earlier, it was quite a bit different. But why don't you yeah. give us the backstory on, because it was, it was to be called East Side Story, if I've got the narrative right. It'd be, right. It's, yeah, it's Jerome Robbins' concept. He, he, he was the, you know, and Jerome, Jerome Robbins, the, you know, is, uh, I think he's a second, second or third generation descendant of um, Eastern European Jewish immigrants. Actually, all of, all of these creators, right? So Jerome Robbins, Arthur Lawrence, Leonard Bernstein, and then Stephen Sondheim, a little bit less. But certainly those, those big three are a generation of either second or third generation uh, children or grandchildren of immigrants, all Jewish, uh, Eastern European Jewish immigrants. So the original concept for the show, Jerome Robbins is famously, right, like a secular Jew who's trying to make his peace. He finally, like, goes on to do Fiddler on the Roof as a way of kind of coming to terms with his Jewishness, we might say. So he's still kind of, but this is before that, still working on some of those themes, and he comes to Leonard Bernstein, or maybe to Arthur Lawrence, I don't remember who, and says, hey, we should do a show about uh, Romeo and Juliet, except set it on the east side, uh, you know, turn of the century, an Irish, I think it's an Irish boy, Irish Catholic boy, right. falls in love with a Jewish girl. Um, we can tell the story of Romeo and Juliet as, you know, the, 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 the conflict in the ghetto of the Lower East Side between Catholic, Irish Catholic immigrants and Jewish Eastern European immigrants and their clannishness. That's a great way to tell the story of Romeo and Juliet. And they kind of work on it. They tee it out. And at a certain point, they're like, yeah, it's just basically A.B.'s Irish Rose with music. Interestingly, if it had come through, Bernstein was very excited about doing a Passover cedar 
on stage, which had never happened. And even by, uh, I think, even in the, the mid-50s, the idea of doing Jewish liturgy on a Broadway stage still felt like that's a big step forward for Jews in America to know that, I mean, like, this can happen now. We can present Jewishness on stage. Um, that had political, I think, overtones and ramifications for both of them, right? We've arrived. We can do right. this now. But with a little sense of, like, our audience is going to accept this. Our very waspy white audiences of Broadway going to accept um, a Jewish liturgy on stage. So they were kind of playing with these ideas. And then at a certain point discovered, yeah, that's really not, you know, uh, Jews in America by 1957 are no longer the other, quote unquote, in the way that they were in the, at the turn of the century. And this, right. in some ways, tells the interesting story about race in America in 1901 or 02 or whatever, Jews are not white. They are very, right. very much not white. To a certain degree, Irish are also not white, right? Like white means Anglo-Saxon Protestant, and everybody else is some other. They're some racialized other. But by 1950, that's shifted. Irish and, and Jewish are now kind of have become white, we might say. So there's a, there's a newly constituted whiteness, white supremacy in a certain kind of way, that now includes what had been European immigrants in a different generation. In some ways, that whiteness is being defined at a very early stage by the new non-white category, which are African-Americans up in Harlem and um, Hispanic immigrants, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Mexicans, who were living in other kind of neighborhoods. So in some ways, like, the, the racial dynamics have shifted by the 50s, and they realize if we're going to tell the story of Romeo and Juliet, it can't be Jews and Catholics anymore. It needs to be, in this context, you know, uh, a Polish gang or some kind of, you know, newly constituted whiteness. Are they all Poles? Are some of them Irish or some of them Italian? I'm guessing it's a conglomeration of the new whites, we might say. Right. Um, who still have a very are still very much in touch with their Polishness, their Irishness, their Italianness, maybe their Jewishness. I don't know if there are Jewish boys in the Jets. I'm curious about that. But the new other is now the Puerto Ricans. It's the Sharks. Um, the Sharks. So that's the way that they the East Side Story becomes West Side Story, West a very Side contemporary story. story about gang violence. Yeah, which yeah. is playing out in the newspapers. Right, they're reading about this stuff in the in the New York in the New York Times in other papers and realize we've got a very contemporary show. This is about gang violence. It's about racial violence. It's about who has the right to be American. Um, and Romeo and Juliet makes sense in that context. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, um, just the even saying the words gang violence, I think the choreography of West Side Story has kind of made an image of gang violence to be kind of sexy and cool and all that sort of thing. But just Stay in terms cool, of- boy. Stay cool, boy. In terms of contemporary, the, the last two or three years and looking into the future, the reality of gangs in urban centers all across North America, the, the social conditions that lead to that, the alienation, the racism, the economic disadvantaging, then the presence of obviously drugs, which are kind of in the background in West Side Story, but knives, guns, etc. Yeah. There, there, certainly, and there's references to, like, at one point, the Officer Krupke, I think, says to Action, like, How, how's your dad's DTs? So, I mean, right. clearly, they're, they're established for us as juvenile delinquents who are certainly exposed to prostitution, drug trafficking, gambling, whatever, right? Like, they're, they're, they're raised in that world, whether they themselves are users or pushers, or, I mean, that's always a little kind of unclear, I suppose. You can make choices in a production, um, yeah. how much you want to pull that into it, yeah. But it begins, uh, and we're not going to be able to uh, discuss the whole show here, obviously. Um, time will, so we're going to just really touch down on a few key moments. There's the, the Jet song at the beginning. Um, mm -hmm. But then what I was hearing, a, a reading of uh, interview with the now the late 
Stephen Sondheim, where he said something coming is one of his favorite songs in terms of uh, and when you look at his lyrics as he progressed as a songwriter and parenthetically, he disliked a lot of what he wrote for West Side Story in retrospect. Well, and or says a lot of a lot of it still. I mean, he was brought in to be co-lyricist with Lenny Bernstein. So right. one one possible read on that is actually a lot of Bernstein's lyrics survive in West Side Story. And I think One Hand, One Heart is all Bernstein because Sondheim hated that song. He actually tells a story about he and Arthur Lawrence and Jerome Robbins sitting back in the back of the theater, like laughing hysterically during that song. It's like there was one person who was weeping through the whole thing and it was Lenny. That was his, <laughs> I think he actually lifted One Hand, One Heart directly from Candide. It was supposed to be Candide and Cunegonde. and just plopped it down in the middle of West Side Story and Sondheim hated it he hated I Feel Pretty he hated the kind of purple purple prose that Bernstein wanted to bring Um, so yeah some of it's Sondheim stuff that he hated but he loved something coming could be who knows there's something due any day I will know right away soon as it shows it make them cannonballing down through the sky, gleaming its eye, bright as a rose. Who knows? It's only just out of reach, down the block, on a beach, under a tree. I got a feeling there's a miracle too, gonna come true, coming to me. Could it be? Yes, it could. Something's coming, something good. If I can wait, something's coming. I don't know what it is, but it is gonna be great. With a click, with a shock, phone will jingle, door will knock, open the latch. Something's coming, don't know when, but it's soon. Catch the moon, one-handed catch. Or whistling down the river Come on, deliver to me And I've always loved Something Coming because of its great sense of anticipation. And I think it's a kind of opening number. It's kind of an I want song, really. It is, yep. It's Tony's uh, I want song. Sort of classic. It does build this sense that Obviously, something's coming. Who knows what it's going to be? And then in in really interesting rhythms that, that Bernstein, I mean, it'd be interesting to know which came first, uh, lyrics or music here. Was Sondheim seeking to match with his lyrics some of uh, Bernstein's uh, syncopated rhythms? Or did Sondheim's amazing capacity, his cadence and flow of words, uh, which already here in a very early, early stage, you can you get the sense of a of a very skilled Oscar Hammerstein like lyricist at work. Yep. Um, yep. It's only only just out of reach, down the block, on a beach, under a tree. You know, so that the great uh, the great anticipatory song of of uh, of Tony at the beginning, I think, sets. Uh, sets the audience ready to okay, we all know it's Romeo and Juliet, right? <laughs> uh, we all know probably he's Romeo. Probably uh, he's going to be carried off stage. 
um, and die at the end. Uh, probably the love is unrequited. But for a moment in that song, for me anyway, every time I see it, I, I'm, I'm excited about what is, what's going to unfold. And I think just as a, yeah. a classic uh, song uh, from the American musical theater canon, uh, there's not many better opening protagonist solo songs written. Yeah, oh. it's a great I Want song. Sondheim called it a twofer. He said, I, I told Lenny we, what we need to write, and he's, he compared, he's like, Judy Garland does these, right? The trolley song is a twofer. He's talking about a musical style, right? It's a driving, there's a driving rhythm to it. I, and I think he means right. two, 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 four, it's in two, four time. Um, so there's right. a, that's, that's, the, that's the rhythm. Da, 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 da. It's got a driving, clang, 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 went the trolley is the same idea. So that's right. what Sondheim said to Bernstein. This is what we need to write here. And actually, I think he wrote the, there's a little cello kind of obligato underneath the, the, and Sondheim wrote that bit. So in some ways, we might say something coming is the best true collaboration between Bernstein and Sondheim that oh, we've got nice. in West Side Story. They're both yeah. working at both the music and the lyrics. But I think you're right. This is this is the the son of Oscar Hammerstein, and Sondheim understood himself to be almost a biological everything but a biological son of Oscar Hammerstein, uh, working in the Hammerstein idiom. To write, I think, yeah, one of his most successful lyrics. And as an I want song, I mean, I think it's such an interesting, like, so what, what does Tony, what does Tony want? If, if something coming is his, um, this is who I am, this is what's going to propel me through the next two hours of this story. What right. is it that he's, I mean, he's looking for something, but he doesn't know what it is, right? I mean, I think, I don't you know, know from what the, it is, but it is going to be great. Something's, yeah, something, and I think at one level, it's like he, you know, Riff has just come and said, hey, we need you for the war council. And he's like, ah, you know, I don't know that the whole, you know, Tony, we're, we're, we're meant to understand, Tony's one of the co-founders of the Jets. So he and Riff have founded this gang, but Tony wants out, I think, right? He's working for Doc. He, he has a sense of like, my life is not, <laughs> my life is not with the gang, my life is not with, you know, and they, they've just sung, when you're a jet, you're a jet, they've sung it about Tony. When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way from your first cigarette to your last dying day. Like, from birth to death, this is womb your to family. Womb to tomb, sperm to womb. Womb to tomb. It? Yep, yep. It's all, I mean, it is, it is describing a life cycle. Um, yeah. And I think Tony's sense is that's actually not the life cycle I want to live. So one of the ways that I want to, uh, we talked about this a little bit before, you know, I think there's, in some ways, there's, there's two uh, two religions, if you like, at play, or or two functions of religion that are operating West Side Story. One is the you know the first thing that we hear when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way from your first cigarette to your last dying day. So their religion is the social cohesion of kinship, family, race. We might say religion, uh, but the jets operate like a church. We might you know, and that's Tony, that's Tony's world. That's the religion of jettiness. Um, that he has been described beautifully for us in, in the Jet song. I think so we can trace that liturgical arc through the show, right? The ways in which Jet right. religion functions. And then there's this other uh, sense of religiosity that's really love, right? It, or at least lust. Um, it's, yeah. what, it's what Tony and Maria discover. And there's a whole kind of different trajectory. And I want to call it a religious trajectory, um, the religion of love, we might say, that explodes the belongingness of, of jet religion, explodes the social cohesion aspects of religion, and grounds, we might say, spirituality grounds ultimate meaning in something very different, which is the human connection between two people. Um, love becomes kind of the, uh, the story there. And that's what I think if there's an I want aspect to this song. I think that's what Tony's look. In some ways, we might say he's looking for he's true looking religion. For love. Yeah, yeah. He's and he for knows. True he's looking for love. He never names it as yeah. love, though. He never says like, "I yeah. want to fall in love with a girl." And that's what's so interesting about the song. It never names it as "Where is she?" 
right? It's right. not about a girl. It's about right. a, a sense that he has that my life can be more. So then, I mean, I think Maria offers him that, right? Like, but right. At, at least at the outset, he's not looking to fall in love necessarily. He's looking for, I mean, I, I want to say, he's looking for a different relationship. He's looking for a conversion experience. He wants to be uh, changed. Nice. Yeah. Um, and Maria then becomes the means of his conversion. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. And it's so, um, it, it, it tracks so much with, I think, the adolescent experience of wanting something different, wanting yeah. something more, and then being bowled over, uh, baptized with the baptized. power of lust yep. and love and attraction. Yep. And it's, you know, it, it reminds me of the disciples in the Gospels who leave everything to follow Jesus, right? I mean, there's this, yeah. he will, and, and indeed, both he and Maria will do anything to pursue yeah this energy that they found. So so the two big love songs that, that follow, which have become standards in their own right uh, in the American songbook, Tonight and Maria, mm-hmm. Tonight particularly just explodes with that romantic love, yeah. attraction, sexual energy, where the world actually sort of disappears for them. Yeah, I saw you and the world fell away. Yeah. I saw you. And often the stage, the stagecraft allows that to happen so that they are moved out of their, out of their context into this whole other dimension or realm of being human that is motivated mm-hmm. by attraction and love. And, you know, what a great song. Uh, what a great, what a great song. Not one of Sondheim's favorite. And actually, there's one of the lines that he he identifies as being a Bernstein leftover lyric that he had to use is, today the world was just an address, a place for me to live in, which I think he quotes dismissively, right? He's like, I hate this line. I actually think that's a really interesting line. Today the world was just an address, a place for me to live in, no better than all right, but here you are. And then then it does get a little purple. And what was just a world, I think the line is, what it was just a a world is a star. Like, what the fuck does that mean? I don't even know what that's... (laughs) Okay, thanks, Larry it's Bernstein. Poetry, That's a little. You know. It's poetry. Tonight, tonight, the world is full of light. With suns and moons all over the place. Tonight, tonight, the world is wild and bright. So that's where yes, I'll I'll uh, I'll vote with Sondheim, I suppose, on that one. But I, he would have he if that that's probably a Bernstein line. He would have come up with something much more interesting and clever. But at, at the level, as you say, at the level of um, pure adolescence, like we aren't even sure what we're saying. It, at a certain level, it doesn't matter what we're saying because what we're trying to do is connect physically with one another. 
Here You Are. Um, that's all they, you know, it's like this, musically the song does that. I think the, the music works of Tonight. The lyric is okay. It, 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 it fills the function it needs to. But what works about Tonight is the drivingness and the, um, as you say, the kind of erotic energy of that melody. Yeah. The two people yeah. um, sing, sing, I mean, you know, singing at the top of their range. It's a, it's, an, it's a demanding song for a soprano and a tenor. And some of that, I think, is the reason. It, like, when you're singing that high, your whole body is vibrating. It's vibrating. In a yeah. very... Um, physically exciting way we yeah. might say so yeah. it's it's sex on stage in a certain kind of way yeah. um well yeah. and they they see each other like i that yeah. may sound just too too small but uh, i've been reading gregory boyle you know the great jesuit uh chaplain to gangs uh in oakland california and one of the theological themes he keeps sounding as a chaplain to gangs uh, is this notion of of seeing the person beyond the gang member, right? Actually seeing somebody. Um, and, you know, the Gospels are filled with, you know, Jesus sees Nathaniel mm-hmm. behind the fig tree. Uh, this notion of being seen, but with the, the full embodiment of sexual desire, newborn, and, you know, the uh, I'm old enough to remember, just back to Romeo and Juliet, the, the Franco Zeffirelli film, um, mm-hmm. which was released <laughs> when I was, uh, like, 15 years old or 16. Yep. Oh, I've seen it, too. And we used to call that codpiece classic. <laughs> oh, my God. And going to the theater the and just seeing uh, the uh, Olivia Hussey and Leonard Whiting, their yeah. Romeo and Juliet, seeing yeah. each other for the first time uh, and the... Uh, sexual energy the life energy the erotic energy mm-hmm. certainly certainly sexual of course but even yeah. deeper but than not that. but not just i think that's that's what's that's so important it. about i mean and, and robert wise stages it so beautifully right i mean it's a little it's a little hokey the, the 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 gym literally fades into the background it's just the two of them spotlit it's very theatrical i don't know how well that works cinematically i have questions about that but what's being i think illustrated there is i mean at one level love at first sight right but more than they are more than a tra- I mean, if we take Tony at his word in something coming, it's not just I'm looking for a girl. It's, it's not there just is, meet she, cute. Yeah, it's not meet cute. She, they both represent something for for each other that is more than just a romantic partner. I, th- I think for Maria too, right? Like we, she doesn't get an I want song in quite the same way, but she, you know, she's she's in white. It's her first day in America. You know, she's being taken to her first dance. She's just moved here, so you, we, we get the sense of like, yeah, she too is being. She's ready to be baptized. This is their baptism moment. I think what they're being right. baptized by is love, but not just love. It's it's a. It's a kind of, I don't, it's a religious, they're looking for a conversion experience. I think both of them are. And falling in love with one another offers them not just, here's, a, here's another person who I, have to, I happen to find sexually attractive, but here's a way out of my, out of the very narrow confines of my world. Um, this person represents not just an escape, a, a, something, something different, something better right. than my life otherwise would hand me. Well, and indeed what, what they've discovered is classically the other they've fallen in love with the enemy they've fallen in love with the ones that they're not supposed to love um and that makes the attraction even even bigger in some ways uh the imp i mean uh uh, certainly speaking as a gay man of a you know certain generation there was for years and i lived through some of this myself the romance the attraction to impossible relationships yeah. um, 
because there was a because of social stigma against openly gay relationships for so many decades. Uh, so you got involved with somebody that you weren't that it was impossible to ever, and that was kind of. But this is kind of an impossible relationship. Any yeah. rational look at Tony and Maria says, well, you know, get away. Um, a boy right. like that. Horrible idea. A boy like yeah. that who kills your brother. Forget that boy. Find another right. one of your own kind. Yeah. And she's and she's right. Anita is and exactly right, right in that moment. I yeah. think you know. And we 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 experience this kind of. I think looking at Romeo and Juliet too. It's like, oh come on, you guys, you're thirteen. Like <laughs> you know, like you have no idea. What, so at one level, it's like, yeah, the the lure of the forbidden. I think at a at a. I want to say at a theological level though, what's happening here is that the power of. I mean, we can say love as shorthand. I, I you know, I, I think it's more than just. It's certainly more than just romantic love. The power of human connection to explode clannishness, hypocrisy, uh, xenophobia, fear of, you know, in some ways, like, that's what religion, I think, is for. In, yes. Or at least that's one function that religion can play, is it, um, it, it explodes the kinds of human belonging systems that exclude some people and include others. And, and, and what's that story is all about this? Enact violence, right? Violence depends on clannishness and belonging. And religion, when it functions at its truest sense, explodes all of that and reminds us that we are all created in the image of God. We are all God for one another. And that that's actually the basis by which we build relationships. So at that level, theologically, I think it's more than just the lure of the forbidden. I think they are being invited into... Uh, I mean, becoming vessels of grace for one another and then for their communities, right? Like there's a salvific component to Tony and Maria that's really not about the two of them. It's about the world of the Jets and the Sharks and their families and what it represents for a Puerto Rican girl to fall in love with a Polish boy in, in that context. And I think that, I mean, to your point, right, that's what makes this queer. I think there's a queer romance in that sense. I think that's why queer people have always been kind of drawn to, I mean, particularly somewhere, right? Like this, it, it's yes. not just about like the forbidden thing is sexy. It's about like, no, there's actually something very deeply true about falling in first. love. Yeah, over over great obstacle. And we might not actually be able to find that thing in this life. And that's where West Side Story actually does then literally make uh, reference to the the realm of the kingdom of God, we might say, that there's another reality that we touch in those moments. And it's not about this this world and its and its problems. It's a place that exists outside of time. I mean, it's Cairo's time. This is the world of yes. the world of the divine that we touch. I think that's why somewhere functions so beautifully as a queer anthem, which it has for generations. But also as a, I mean, you know, th- th- this is a song about heaven. This is a song about heaven on earth, we might say. Right. Um, the possibility of, of entering into the kingdom of God, which, which love, this particular kind of love, um, allows Tony Maria to have a glimpse of uh, before, yeah. you know, before he dies in her arms.
somewhere is a hymn to hope, right? A hymn to yeah. the theological virtue of hope, because it's a, it, it's a, it's unspecific. There's a place for us somewhere. Mm-hmm. Like it's not yeah. saying here's the program to get there, which would be a kind of human agenda thing. I think uh, theologically, hope is about. Uh, something hidden within God that we can maybe discover if we're open, but there's kind of no map, no navigation point that's going to get us there. It's it's a it's a promise held within within divine grace. Yeah, uh, that we have to navigate through, and just in terms of social commentary, to touch base on two of the pieces. Um, that Sondheim and Bernstein uh, and Lawrence and, and the whole creative team do to kind of sketch a view of the reality that these kids are dealing with. Uh, one is uh, Officer Krupke, uh, two songs. One is Officer Krupke and the other is is America. And Officer Krupke, I've been thinking a lot about that. We <laughs> are uh, the boys choir uh, in high school. Uh, we are uh, the guys who sang all of our voices. It was one of the songs we sang. So the lyrics are installed <laughs> somewhere in my hard drive. Oh, you know it. this song well. <laughs> I know this song. I sang it as a 15-year-old pimply-faced uh, kid uh-huh. uh, in high school. And I, I just think it's so anticipatory of what was going to happen with the world of psychology and social work over the next 40, 50 years in North American life, you know. The trouble is he's lazy. The trouble is he drinks. The trouble is he's trouble. Trouble is he's growing. The trouble is he's grown, and it's sort of uh, social worker, psychiatrist after another person trying to diagnose an individual problem where what's completely obvious is the problem isn't the individual. The problem is the context, is the socioeconomic context that these kids are living in. And there's no amount of social work or psychotherapy that's going to lift them out of it. And so Officer Krupke becomes a comic song, but a comic song with biting With a darker edge. Oh, a very dark dark and important edge. Dear kindly social worker, they say go earn some dough. Like be a soda jerker, which means like be a schmo. It's not I'm anti-social, I'm only anti-work. Glory Oski, that's why I'm a jerk. Hey, Officer Krupke, you've done it again. This boy don't need a job, he needs a year in the pen. It ain't just a question of misunderstood. Deep down inside him, he's no good. I'm no good. We're no good, we're no good, we're no The trouble is he's crazy. The trouble is he stinks. The trouble is he's These days of defunding the police, like um, which I take as meaning, let's figure out who's in the best position to help people in poverty who live with uh, mental illness and that sort of stuff. It's not always the police. Um, just yeah. to make that my yeah, my I, I had 
I had not made. Maybe this, you know, the 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 way that the police function in West Side Story, I had never really noticed before. I I went back and rewatched the film this weekend. I mean, both of these are groups that are very clear, right? Like we we don't trust the police. We have no use for the police. I mean, every time, and they 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 function in a very you know like they're in the they're in the show a lot. Officer Kropke and whatever he is, Inspector I forget his name, the the police inspector. Um, who I mean, at one point, you know, he he surprises Maria in her bedroom and tries to interrogate her. She's terrified. Um, that you know, like the Officer Krupke is all about, like this is why we have no use for you. Like your whole system is a threat to us. I mean, so you talk about like defund the police. In some ways, West Side Story is I don't know if it's ahead of its time or it's just like those of us who are not in marginalized communities have been affor- have afforded ourselves the opportunity to ignore that this phenomenon has been going on for you know now sixty years, where these communities of folks, I mean, like don't feel protected by, and so to a certain degree, like that becomes I think their their best response for this is why this kind of violence happens. Um, because we have no other recourse for how to, to deal with, you know, to, to uh, police our own communities because the, the official uh, mechanisms for policing have completely failed us. We cannot, we cannot trust them. We cannot use them. They treat us like problems. Um, we have to solve this stuff on our own. It's a, I mean, in some ways, it's a really, there's this, there's this really interesting moment where I think it's right after the, the rape scene, right? Doc has just come in and interrupted. It's a, I mean, it's a, it's a horrific scene. I had forgotten how, like, traumatizing it is. Um, to watch Anita almost be raped by Baby John, but the, you know the Jets are kind of, um, and, he, and he stops and he says, "Why do you? Why do you do this? Why do you do this to one another?" And I think it's action says, "Like we didn't, we didn't make this world, Doc." Right. And it's you know it's it's treated you know it's like at one level you know it's like yeah he's not wrong right like and at another level it's like no that doesn't get you off the hook like you just tried to you just tried to rape this girl like you can't you can't just say well it's society's fault we're you know we have no we have no power we have no agency. I mean, at one level, I, I, I think I understand where that's coming from. And at another level, it's like, no, that's not, that's not a sufficient answer to the violence that is happening, especially in the second act of West Side Story. The, vi- the, 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 the volume on the violence gets turned up all the yeah. way. And it's, it's awful. It's a really dark, dark depiction of, um, of, how, of how nasty human beings can be to one another. Yeah, um, yeah. And what causes the violence is always the question. You know, is it, yeah. is it an individual problem that needs individual rehabilitation, which has been the model from that time in many ways right through to the present? Or is it, and just because I'm reading uh, Father Boyle these days, the creation of an alternate community of acceptance and love that really does change the context as opposed to trying to fix the individual? Speaking from Vancouver, the downtown east side of Vancouver, which is the poorest postal code in the whole country, a uh, place where uh, uh, the numbers, uh, the drug addiction, homelessness, and so forth is just endemic. The largest employer in the downtown east side is social service. Um, and so you get this funny, and it, it has been for 40 years, and it's kind of pointing up the, the bankruptcy of the change the individual, then you can change the system. Uh, it really has, and uh, you know, just to be a little left wing, but hey, I am. It really has to do with more of a societal change than a fix of individuals, and I think that's what what Krupke kind of shows up. And then America, on the other side, shows right. up. You know, life can be bright in America if you are white. If you're in all America. white in America. If you're all yeah. white Even in America. More so in the more so in the film than in the stage production because they rewrote yes. a lot of the lyrics. Uh, both both in response to pushback from Puerto Rican groups, I think, who found the song to be deeply racist in its original, um, and still I think have mixed feelings about 
the casual racism that the show kind of traffics in. Um, but the the attempt to rewrite it in the film and to make it a song between the boys and the girls, not just a song of the of the of the girls, um, I think does add uh, ad, adds a really interesting layer. I think because you really get a sense of the intersectionality that these that these immigrants are facing. Right, this is uh, it, it, the experience of the sharks, the boys in the sharks gang, is very different than the experience of Anita and the the girls there. And so, and so in some ways, like, it's a song about this is what it's like to be an immigrant in America. In other ways, it's a it's a more nuanced song about the the immigrant experience of women versus the immigrant experience of men. Um, oh, yes. I think I mean, I, the film really, I, it, I think, is a, is a, is a one-up on the stage show in terms of what it does and what it's then able to say. Because there, America pulls no punches, as you say, right? Life is all right in America if you're all white in America. In 1961, I mean, that's, right. you know, that's predating critical race theory by... A good sixty years, um, and 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 the show is is pretty pretty out there, pretty upfront in terms of its agenda, um, which is one of the things that I actually, I really admire about this show. So it's the intersection of race and class and class gender and gender. And, yep. uh, and and economic uh, economic situations. All of those yep. things come into play. You know, transporting uh, Genoa into the West Side of New York, uh, taking. Uh, Really, I think the Shakespeare story is an archetypal story. It is a mm-hmm. um, story of unexpected, the unexpected blossoming of, of first love, of love at first sight, and its tragic consequences because it's not culturally going to work given the... So translating all of that into the west side of, of yeah. New York. Um, and it's going to be fascinating to see what uh what spielberg and i my i'm having a tony uh, kushner yeah tony kushner uh the author of angels in america great playwright Mm -hmm. uh who's rewritten the book no new songs no i feel uh i think there i know i feel pretty i think there is a new i feel like i heard that there is going to be a new i don't know who's responsible for the new song um, yeah, no, I feel pretty though, and that that was true in the Broadway, the new Broadway revival cut. I feel yeah. pretty as well. I I think probably I, Sondheim hates I feel pretty, so some of this I think is like he's fine, like all of his collaborators are dead, so he can finally have his way with this thing yeah. uh, and shape it in in the way that he wants to see it, and and so fair enough. Right? I I happen to lo- have a very soft spot in my heart for I'll Pretty, and and to a certain degree, like I mean, his his critique of I feel pretty, as I understand it, is it's not based in character. Maria would never be able to like lines like. Um, you know, the lines that he gives her are not uh, believable to come out of the mouth of this, whatever right. she's supposed to be, 16-year-old Puerto Rican immigrant. And at a certain level, I think, okay. And at a certain level, I think, well, that's a little, I mean, that's a little sexist. That's a little racist. <laughs> that, I mean, like, why why shouldn't she be able to say such a pretty face, such a pretty dress, such a pretty smile, such a pretty me? I mean, like, that's a, you know, it's not a great lyric. But I don't think that the problem with it is that it's unbelievable for Maria to sing that. She's a she's a girl in love. I, I, I mean, otherwise, I don't think we, we get to see the, I mean, Maria is a, she's not the lead, right? I mean, Carol right. Lawrence was nominated for, for a Tony Award. She was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, not for Best Actress. Uh, Natalie okay. Wood made the part into a lead role. Right. Um, but Maria is otherwise, you know, she's, a, she's kind of a supporting character for Tony's story, unless we give her, I think, a moment like right. I Feel Pretty, where we get to see her just as a girl. Um, otherwise, well, she's, you know, she, she's a tragic figure almost, almost every, every moment we see her. I feel pretty, oh so pretty. I feel pretty and witty and bright, and I pity any girl who isn't me tonight. I feel charming, 
Oh, so charming, it's alarming how charming I feel. And so pretty that I hardly can believe I'm real. See the pretty girl in that mirror there. Who can that attractive girl be? Such a pretty face, such a pretty dress, such a pretty smile, such a pretty face. I feel stunning and entrancing. Feel like running and dancing for joy. it's really her response to Maria, right? Uh, Tony gets to sing Maria where his full-throated, absolute infatuation, love, lust, whatever for Maria. And then she gets to sing I Feel Pretty um, uh, as a kind of response to that, which which gives a bigger context to to her love for him. So just to your point, otherwise uh, she just becomes object, right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Now Otherwise, we got some she's sense just of, praying to the yeah. Madonna all the time, and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. no, she's yeah. she's a, she's a girl. She has yeah, she has the desires of a girl. Yeah, I I I'm I'm gonna. I don't mean you know. Tony gets to sing "I Long for Meaning in My Life," and Maria gets to sing "I Feel Pretty." So there's a little <laughs> bit of a mismatch here. <laughs> I mean, she could she. I think there's more to this girl than I like feeling pretty. On the other yeah. hand, there's nothing wrong with wanting to feel pretty. Like that, like right. that's an easy thing to dismiss if you're a male creator, right? Oh, she's right. just into, into the clothes. Well, okay, like that's a. That in itself is a kind of misogynist read on um, on desire, right. but whatever we can we can let that go. I think you know the the moment as as we kind of begin to come in for landing here, right? I mean, at, at the level of the love story, right? Somewhere is the and maybe one hand, one heart, right? That there is a there is a promise of um, at least a certain kind of hope for these characters, if not in this life and the next life, um, for, for this particular love story. I guess my question is, I mean, kind of given the way that you've I think so beautifully sketched the social agenda. Uh, you know, it's not it's not necessarily individual fixes here. There's a society that is bankrupt. Um, is does West Side Story offer a glimmer of hope? I mean, what what's the wh- where is the redemption on offer for the West Side at at the end of the show? Right, right. Or for well, America, we might say. Yeah, well, there is the kind of fantasy of jets and sharks coming together. Um, this finding some sort of common humanity or. As you, when we were just before we went on mic to, this afternoon, describing a, the kind of liturgical funeral it's moment funeral. that yeah. somewhere kind of shapes in the film, particularly where they're brought together by way of vi- redemptive violence, I guess. Oh, uh, yeah, I, mean, that's I the... don't like that. But I don't either. I, uh, I think that's the yeah. Is Tony is Tony meant to be read as a Christ figure? Is his does his blood shedding redeem Maria? And I, I mean, I guess 
if I'm going to push back on that, which I'm, I'm always going to push back on a redemptive violence arc, um, the potential is probably Maria. I, I think yes. about her last monologue, right? I have hate now. I can kill too. Um, how many how many bullets in this gun, Chino? Is there enough for you, for you, for you, and still one for me? She flirts with the idea of being the destructive angel, and she and she could. She's got the gun in her hand, and they're all standing there, like watching to see what she will do. And instead, she chooses to mourn. I, I think there's a lot of ways we could read. Uh, she collapses in grief. You know, she can't. She she does not enact retributive violence. She breaks the cycle. We might say yeah. um, she, by all rights, should shoot should shoot Chino because Chino has just shot Tony, and she doesn't. Um, and that becomes, I think, the invitation then for the Jets and the Sharks to carry to, as you say, like that's a little, I, mm, I have mixed feelings about yeah. that final image, um, which I think the music underscores, right? You think about the kind of the final notes of it's da-da-da, it's using the tritone again, so a very yeah. unresolved, a sense of deep tension musically at the heart of this thing is, as, and that's Bernstein, he's, and he, there's no happy ending here. It's not right. a redemptive moment. It's a tragic moment. But Maria survives, where you know, Juliet does not, but Maria. That's does. what I was going to say. I mean, I think it's where the where it departs from the Shakespeare story. Um, yep. It's not that Juliet, you know, takes the. I can never remember which one takes the poison, and the other one wakes up and see. I'm like, you don't get that moment that both dying for their right. love. She's going to live on, and she's yeah. going to be for be forever. I know. I'm just using my imagination, shaped by. This, ex- this tragedy that has happened to her of love yeah. ending in the death of her lover by way of the, uh, the, the, the conflict between these gangs. She's a, she's a victim of gang violence in her own way mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. is, you know, therefore has the opportunity not to ask a council of perfection, but she does have the opportunity to live a different life, to model. A different life. To tell the story, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and that's what the. Mo- I mean, I, I love, I love the way that the film. I, lo- I mean, it, it feels like a. It's a liturgical moment to me, right? It's a funeral. They, they, you know, they, they, they lift Tony's body up like a casket. You know, uh, I think it's three jets and three sharks carry, and then one by one they follow. They're in pews. I mean, it is a funeral, and then Baby John comes over and lays the the black scarf, the mourning scarf over Maria's head, almost like he's offering her a benediction. I mean, and we I, I could read that as he's ordaining her. He is making mm-hmm. her the priest of the story. It's like laying a stole over her neck. Um, he is make he is but it, it feels to me like a liturgical moment. He is giving some kind of commissioning and benediction to her. And then she rises and follows, you know, like follows the casket. But there is a, a boy, it's a, it's about as liturgical religious a moment as West. I mean, West Side Story offers us, I think, a baptism, right? Like they fall in love. It's a kind of baptism. There's a beautiful yeah. wedding where they, yeah. you know, they marry one another. They, they, in some ways, it's the best illustration of the sacrament of marriage I know. You don't need a priest anywhere. The two, the two, the couple is the ones who, who are the sacrament in that context, giving themselves to one another. So I think one hand, one heart is actually a pretty, it's a pretty good illustration of the Christian theology of the sacrament of marriage. But then at the end of the show is this sacramental funeral slash ordination for Maria. Um, And as you say, like, I, you know, it's who knows, right? But like, it's interesting to think like, what does this, what does this mean for her? Where does she go from here? And is that maybe the best this show has to offer us in terms of, uh, I don't know if America can be redeemed, but here's Maria. Here's the thing that's just happened to her. And she's still alive at the end. So here's a moment of hope, right? Uh, We don't know how it's going to, we don't know how it's going to turn out. It's not, it's not 
American optimism. It's not Nellie Forbush's yeah. cockeyed optimist. Yeah. It's not even, you know, the music man, flim flam man. Well, he may be a scoundrel, but look what he's done for the community. There's not a clear line, forward line here, but I think that's, mm-hmm. that's part of what a theology of hope is about. Um, different yeah. from optimism. Optimism, which, you know, being critical of the American dream, is always, you know, we're going to work our way through this. We're going to manage our way through this. If we all screw up our heads and we think hard enough and we do it, our ingenuity is going to get us through. That's not, that's not Christian hope, I don't think, or what right. Christians right. refer to as hope. Hope, I think, is there's a place for us somewhere. Somewhere, mm-hmm. you know. Um, we don't know how this is going to happen, but there is an energy underneath everything that 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 may move us through the grace of God, I'd say, uh, to reconcile differences, to see ourselves really as belonging to each other rather than being separate, you know. Uh, right. I'm Not a belonging Jeff. to clans. But right, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, uh, beyond bloodlines um, into a, a, a different understanding of who the human, what it means to be part of the human community. Um, and I think that's, for me, some of the, some of the language around hope that I think somewhere gestures to. And Maria, mm-hmm. as I love the notion of her being ordained to be the priest of a new way of being, right? Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. The, pro- the prophet of, of a different kind of way. I mean, to quote from a, a different Shakespeare show, there is a divinity that shapes our ends, rough hew them yeah. how we may. Um, yeah. And I th- there is a little bit, you know, any Shakespearean tragedy, I suppose, that becomes a little bit of the of the promise there. If, if this particular life ends tragically, what might it mean then for we might say the characters that are still left standing, or maybe the redemption story is like it, it's the it's the people who are gathered in that theater to participate liturgically in this liturgy, we might say, um, and who then have the opportunity to you know the mass is ended, go and you know go and go and live your lives. Yeah. Um, go in peace to love and serve the Lord, and it, it maybe then the, the invitation is for us to think about: okay, what do we, how do we want to um, how do we want to respond to these kind of questions? What kinds of communities might we want to build? How do we how do we choose to live our lives, seeing what we've just seen, participating in what we've just participated in? How how can West Side Story change you um, over the course of a lifetime? I, I think that's a, you know, I think musical theater works when it when it works. I think theater, it, like church, can help to shape our our choices and and who we are. Um, certainly West Side Story has some of that. I was talking to a friend this morning who had seen a uh, production of West Side Story, I think in Washington, in a thrust stage. And just before the final scene, the way he described it, the cast stood right on the edge of the stage and looked out into the audience, breaking the fourth wall, right? And mm-hmm. making eye contact with audience members and stopping the action for a moment. And then all at once the cast went... And then they went back into it and the violence emerged. And oh my gosh. Like how just how, but that's exactly what you're saying that it's, yeah. it's maybe the audience. And I think that's maybe what that director was seeking to convey yeah. is yeah. these people. You two are, are implicated in this. Yeah. You're implicated. These, these actors, this story is locked in and it will not change. Mm-hmm. We can do this night after night. Tony is always going to get stabbed. He's always going to kill Marie. <laughs> like they're, you are not, and I think yeah. you know, that's the promise of religion, that we are not locked, not necessarily locked in. Hmm. But by the grace of God. Wow. Uh, so, by the grace of God. Well, okay. So 
Stay away cool, we boy. go from here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we didn't get to talk about my favorite number. Boy, boy, crazy boy. Get cool, boy. I love it. Gotta rock it in your pocket. I mean, there is. Maybe maybe Kushner will explore this. I do at some point want to talk about the um, the very queer the uh, fighting. Se- yeah. yeah. That I I just I mean it says it, right? She's the finger snapping mm-hmm. the Oh whole my gosh. Thing. Yeah. She's she's like they all they all dance like they like they're trying to get rid of something. They fight that way too and she doesn't quite say it, but we can say yeah, they screw that way too, right? These are yeah. uh the male 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 aggression in this show I think is yeah. is fascinating what West Side Story has to say about that. So, that's a that's a topic another for another way. time perhaps. But we will carry <laughs> on with our series on Stephen Sondheim. Yes. I I can't yeah. even remember where we're going next time so we'll I think Gypsy. Next time we get to talk about Gypsy, right? Gypsy. Oh yes. Okay. In a in a completely different key. Yeah. All right. Until next time. See you then. Bye. The Gospel of Musical Theater is a production of Trinity Episcopal Cathedral in Portland, Oregon. Join Peter and Nathan every other Friday right here in your podcast feed, and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Gospel of MT. Learn more and support us at trinity-episcopal.org slash podcasts. See you next time.